is nothing specific with Trevor David Houch and it's uh it's late. I'm here in Atlanta. Atlanta's not as shut down as the rest of the country, I think. Um I think the rest of the country is well, I, you know, how do I know? You know, what do I know? I don't know what the rest of the country is either going through or not going through. But um here in Atlanta, it's not quite as shut down as a lot of other places. Some of the stores are closed, you know. Uh, lots of the stores are closed, actually. Um, but they've opened up the the country. Um, I think Atlanta. I think Georgia. The state of Georgia was the first, the first actually state to go ahead and open up. Uh, Governor Kemp opened up. What did he open? Tattoo parlors. What else? Uh, hair salons, tattoo parlors, um, and I think there was one other category. And the Georgians kind of went crazy um, against that. They're, they didn't really, they don't really support that. You know, a lot of my friends anyway are, you know, I, I, I'm afraid of using the term afraid, but I can't think of another term. A lot of my friends are afraid to go out, afraid to, you know, I don't know, participate in the economy again. I'm not afraid, though. You know, I wish more people would go out. Like, I was out today driving around, doing my usual run through the city. Streets are pretty empty few more cars today than there have been in the last uh, six weeks, but nothing compared to usual Atlanta traffic, which actually I'm loving. So from one perspective, I'm glad people are staying home. I don't, I don't, you know, good, stay in your house. Let me drive. But um, on the other hand, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's boring. (laughs) I don't know. It's boring. It's boring. I want to see some people. But this is just all part of what I think is, you know, a, a kind of attack on society, like, like, like a, 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 a coordinated, a coordinated planned attack on society. And I've got my man Tim Wright here with me. Tim, Tim, Tim's an author. He's, um, he's a writer. He's written a bunch of stuff, some books and some plays and some movies. I've been in a couple of his plays. Um... Tim knows his way around the written and spoken word. So, Tim, what up, man? What you, where are you, bro? I like you. Are, you know, I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles. That's, uh, that's my home base. What's it look here. like in L.A., man? What's it look like in L.A.? Well, you know, it's funny because L.A. is such an outdoor city, as you know, probably better than I do, having lived here for a number of years. It's, um, it, it's striking. When you go outside, you see... Um, a lot of people walking. You see a lot of people just being outdoors. But, and this is the key for L.A., for the first time in my experience here, the people that I'm seeing outdoors don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> They're just outside to be outside. And L.A. Is, is one of those metropolis where everyone always has something to do. Everybody always has some place to be. And for the first time, time since I've been here, it's not like that. It's completely the opposite. So, um, in terms of my feel, it's weird because I go outside and people are just, I don't want to say they're wandering, but they're experiencing their immediate environment in a, in a way that I don't think they, they, they have in the, in the recent past anyway. And then when you're driving around, I have a motorcycle, so when I'm riding around, there's a, there's a noticeable um, reduction in traffic. Uh, people aren't out, you know, doing their normal thing as you would typically expect in LA. But I don't get the feeling that it's isolated or that it's it's desolate. I just get the feeling that like the world's been put on pause and and I don't know, I can't help but experience it as a good thing. When you when you can see from Pasadena to Long Beach clearly <laughs> um, and again somebody like yourself who's been here would understand that how significant that is. Bro, I can literally see from my house all the way into Long Beach, clearly. How far is it's Long Beach from your house? It's uh, 25, 30 miles. Wow, nice. And I have friends who live in Long Beach who can see all the way to downtown L.A. You know, I never really, when I lived in L.A., bro, I never really got around to figuring out what the Long Beach thing was. I think I went to Long Beach twice. I know I went <clears throat> I went once with a girl. We went looking for, I think it's the, I don't know, the Long Beach Aquarium. I, you know, I don't know. We went yeah, looking for, 
and we could never find it. <laughs> we we ended up we, we were in Long Beach and there's a building in Long Beach that is painted like an aquarium. It's painted with the ocean and uh, you know seals and friggin' you know whales and sharks and stuff. But that's not the aquarium. I don't know. Me and me and this girl could never find the aquarium in Long Beach. And I just could never really understand. It's so. It seems like it. It seems like it's so far away. Like it's. You know. Where is it? Like what? Is 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 the beach there really long? Like what? Where is it? Is it south of LA? North of LA? Like where is Long Beach? It's between LA and Orange County, which is surprising that you've never really experienced because you you spent some time. You spent a lot of time in Venice, right? Venice is my spot, bro. Venice, shout out to my man Jay Frasini. Shout out to Ra. Shout out to everybody on Venice Beach. You know, um, getting their, get doing their thing, making money, doing their art. You know, shout out to everybody. Shout out to the guy that I buy my, I buy a lot of my thermals. Like I like, like right now, I'm wearing um, a, a thermal. You know what a thermal is? Like long johns, right? Right now, I'm wearing a gray long john shirt with Jim Morrison printed, Jim Morrison and the Doors printed on the front. And I get all these printed thermals from this um, Middle Eastern cat on Venice Beach. Shout out to him, whatever his name is. He always gives me a deal. He gives me two or three of these shirts for like 30 bucks and they're great. I, I've had, I've, you know, I, I, I got this one. I got one with um, Led Zeppelin. I got one with Bob Marley. I got one with Jimi Hendrix. Shout out to anyway, yeah, Venice Beach and 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 Long Long Beach though. I just don't know what it is, where it is. I don't I don't I don't know what it is. But shout out to Long Beach. Well, you and you know honestly, Long Beach is um, it's it's I think I don't know whether it's north or south of Venice, but it's not. It it, it it's surprising that you spent so much time in Venice and never really experienced Long Beach because I don't think they're that far apart. As far as I'm concerned, Long Beach is the Bermuda Triangle of Los Angeles. <laughs> and it's funny that you couldn't find the aquarium, because if you go downtown Long Beach, literally every sign on every corner is pointing to this aquarium. Yeah, this is what... Tim, this is what I'm telling you. This is exactly what I'm telling you. Me and this girl drove up and down the streets in Long Beach looking for the aquarium. We parked the car. We wa- Her name... Listen, her name is Anne. Her name is Anne. She's a great girl. I think I think I think she came to see, you met her. She came to see the play. She came to see Captive one of the oh, wow. nights that we ran Captive in Pasadena and she was there. Vietnamese girl. Me and her went down looking for the aquarium. And bro, we 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 can never find it. We ended up going to some pizza place and coming back to LA. Los, Long Beach is a mystery to me. And, you know, every time I talk to you, I think of Captain Man and how great an experience theatrically. It's a small show, being like 75 feet there, whatever, but it was a really great experience um, putting up a show and just doing it with really talented people, man. I, 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 and I don't think I thank you enough for doing that, man, because it was, it's one of the highlights of the stuff that I've done with in LA, man. I really have my memories of that run. Listen, bro. Let me tell you something. You and I have really never had a, t- a conversation in depth about Captive and just how transformative it was. I, you know, I, I don't know how, you know, what your experience was, but for me, it was transformative, brother. It was easily, it's, it was, it, it's easily the highlight of my career as an actor theatrically, like on stage and, you know... Um, really? Oh, beyond it, 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 everything else pales in comparison. It, it was, it was breathtaking, man. And I remember at one point, I think we were two shows in, or it might have been after the first show. You, you, you got us in the, you got us in the, uh, you know, on the stage and in the room, and you said, okay, guys, that was good. That was pretty good. You know, now. Um, I don't remember your exact words, but they came across as, okay, guys, now are you guys really going to do it or are you just going to like robot your ways through your way through it? And you kind of just were like, you kind of just were like, I'm just going to sit out here in the audience and let you guys run it. 
and I'm not going to give any direction. Just you guys run it. You guys do it. And we did it. And you were like, okay, now if you know, how was that? And we all felt a lot better because it was looser. There was nobody in the audience. We had gotten to run it at least that one time in front of the audience. Everybody's Every, how can I say, like the, uh, the the bugs in everybody's system were kind of gone, you know, those jitters, yeah. that fear. And yeah, Tim, it, it, it was an amazing experience, man. It's an, it's an, it's an incredibly crafted play. It's like, it's like, um, you know, they have these escape rooms these days. The, the, you, 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 yeah, isn't that something? Yeah. You pay money to go in these escape rooms, and I guess I, I've never been in one. They lock. I don't. I have no idea how it friggin' works. They lock you in there, and what? You know, I don't know. You got to try to escape. I, I have no idea. But your play was like that in the sense that the suspense suck the fucking air out of the room and everybody is on the edge of their seat because all these characters are so well drawn and at each other's throats and the father you know the 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 father and the son the gay father and the son and you know i don't remember the gentleman's name who played the father but everybody was terrified that this guy was not gonna be fucking able to do this show and he fucking killed it. He murdered it. And this, I don't know if you remember, but he actually, he, he called me to, it was the week of the show. And I think it was a Monday. He called me on a Monday and said he wasn't going to be able to make either the draft rehearsal or the tech rehearsal because he was in another show. And I was completely fucked because I had, I had no, we had no understudy. So I had to, I just had to eat it, right? And he did, you know, suck it up and change the step on it and going up. He was thinking that he was going to not show up or he was going to not be prepared. And he actually absolutely killed me. Absolutely killed me. Yeah, he, what, what, do you remember his name? He's on my Facebook page. We still communicate, but I, I don't remember his name. Is his name James? First name James? Yes. Does that ring a bell? Yes, his name is James Cox. His name's James Cox. There you go. There James, you go. James Cox. Great Shout out. Shout out James Cox, you know, he, he, you know, all the actors were on, on pins and needles wondering if he could pull it off because all through rehearsals, he could never get his lines right. He got, he got a little bit too flustered. You know, he, he, he seemed kind of to lose his place, but then man, when the show happened, that dude brought so much realism and reality to his character he 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 you know he was that flustered you know kind of taken aback kind of you know confused angry sad you know overly emotional he was all those things and he was exactly yeah, all, all those yeah. things during the rehearsal it 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 was phenomenal man you know i that's why i want to that's that's the reason Tim that I want to do another show with you that's why it's nothing else it's because it was exhilarating it just was fucking exhilarating you know and and me what I did dude you know I was speaking for you <laughs> I was the Tim Wright character <laughs> in the place you know spouting off the wisdom and the facts and 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 the juxtapositions and so on and so forth and the vernacular and the memorization was Shakespearean bro it is absolute that that role that character is absolutely Shakespeare and it's so much dialogue. <laughs> it's so many words for that character, and that good man, but you, you pulled it off, and you, you killed it. I you loved know, it, man. Pulled it off, man. It was great. It was a great experience, and and uh, you don't know this because um, we didn't know each other before that, but I had actually retired. That Captain was just something that I was doing because I was bored. I just moved to Pasadena, but I had actually stopped writing for a couple of years before Captain. My daughter had just been born, and so I was kind of done with the whole writing thing. And doing Captain reawakened everything for me. I got the creative juices going again, and, and of course the rest of history with everything that's happened, you know, since then. But yeah, that was that was a moment. For, and I remember you called me the next day after opening night, and we talked for like 20 minutes, maybe a half hour, and we were both of the opinion that wow, that was an amazing amazing thing we just did yeah bro i mean listen i you know i 
I could see it as a film, Tim. It, it's got, you know, like I said, it's got a certain claustrophobia. You could shoot it in one motherfucking room, you know, because every all the action takes place in that goddamn room. You don't need, you don't need anything to happen outside that room until the, you know, until the guy's coming in the end. And that is, yeah. and that's super dramatic, man. That scene had everybody, Tim. That scene had every actor's heart racing backstage like you would not believe, bro. We were we were clasping each other's hands really, really tight. We were praying back there. We were hugging each other, man. We it it, it was it was intense, man. It was intense. I'm so proud of that cast and that piece and you know, the people that were in that show really brought it to life in a way that just blew my mind and I'm the writer. Um, but yeah, I, every... It's funny because I wrote it... I don't know, I think it was right after 9-11 that I wrote it, maybe even before 9-11 that I wrote it. Um, and at the time that I wrote it, my biggest fear was that okay, this is not relevant. You know, it's just, this is not something that's going to be relevant for very long, so I got to do it right away. And we did it, you know, 20 years after the fact or whatever, and it's more relevant today than it was when I wrote it. It's just, and that, therefore, the suspense, like you point out, and that last scene, when all the things sort of come to a head, it, it just, it was, I gotta do it again, man. We gotta, we gotta put that up again. Please, bro. Hey, listen. I am extending you an official offer for us to put it up here in Atlanta. You have no idea, you know, there's nothing like that in Atlanta. You would, you would immediately become the new Tyler Perry. I, you know, I, I, and I, there's no comparison, but if you put your show up here, you would immediately become the, the guy on the, you know, on the, on the, on the uh, stage of, uh, on stage in terms of theatrical productions here in LA, you would immediately be, I mean, here in Atlanta, you would immediately be that guy. And, you know, the hope you is. Know what's funny, it's not to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but the, the, the funny thing is, it's such an easy show to produce. I know it is. Because there's one set, um, there's seven, maybe, there's nine actors on stage, and then the rest, you know, the video clips or whatever. But it's such an easy show to produce. It's really, I can we could do that show anywhere. We could absolutely do it nowhere. That would be amazing. So that's that's an introduction and and uh, and an invitation for for you and I to do it when this whole situation yeah. allows us allows us the freedom <laughs> to do it. You know, um, and when, that's when your um, when your paradigm shifts. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, what you said is is exactly right you know everything everything is and isn't at the same time you know nothing nothing is nothing comes weighted with judgment until you place judgment on you so yeah it's real you know i'm trying to do the same thing in terms of seeing what's going on i'm trying to take advantage of the environment myself just like you you know i'm trying to get out walk around get some more fresh air uh you know i'm i'm taking better better care of my body i'm I'm watching my diet like I've never watched it before, man. I'm really, I've really dug deeply into this vegetarian diet. Not to say that I have for forever forbidden meat from entering my body. That's not where I'm at. I'm not one, you know. I'm, I'm not quite there yet. But my point being, you know, the added time to concentrate on things that you know we only give ancillary attention to when we're in our hustle and bustle life you know this is a moment that you're able to sort of concentrate your energy on things that maybe otherwise you 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 tell yourself you wish you had time for well now you've got nothing but time to to apply to apply to some things about about yourself so that's a definite positive um, spin on on what's going on, and that in and of itself is a paradigm shift. I mean, the hope would be that everybody would come out of this having, you know, having become a little bit more aware of themselves, you know, how they behave, you know, their hang-ups, what have you. That's that's that that in and of itself is a paradigm shift. If if that is able to happen and sustain itself, you know, collectively. For any, for any extended amount of time. You know, here's the thing, though. The truth is that there's a thing, and, and I, this may offend some people who doesn't care, is that the, the, the truth is an ugly bitch. 
that's why nobody wants to date her very long. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is that that sort of paradigm shift you just described. It really does reveal what is and isn't important to a, to an individual. Like for instance, you know, we can say this will give anybody, you, me, or anyone else, time to to focus on the things that they say they want to focus on. But the reality is that's not. If all you're doing is saying you want to focus on these things, and it's not really who you are, having the extra time is not going to do anything but reveal that. You know what I'm saying? So, as far as I can see, this is an opportunity for anybody, you, me, and whomever else, to really figure out and get to know what's important to us. I, I'll be honest with you about me. I live, and I, you know, for anybody that knows me, you know, I have a, I'm a young daughter, she's ten, um, and I live in fear every day of having to spend unplanned time with her. That was one of my biggest phobias. Because I, you know, I just felt like I get bored, she gets bored, you know, the whole thing would fall apart, you know what I'm saying? But what I realized is that there's something else I want to do more now. And just be around her. And I, that would have never, Trevor, it would have never happened had it not been for this situation. I would never allow it to happen. If we were going to spend time together, it would have been planned down to the hour. You know what I mean? Because he's 10 and I'm not, and I figured, okay, there's no way we're going to be able to hang out and not want to kill each other. You know what I'm saying? But because of this situation where the thing just kind of thrust upon us, dude, I, there's nothing I would rather do than just hang out with my kids. And there's no way I would have ever realized that had it not been for this situation. Yeah, paradigm shift, man. Compl- you know, a shift in your consciousness before this but, thing. But here's the, here's the key, though. And, and I think this is where I think maybe you're thinking of mine sort of diverge a little bit. When this all ends, and it will end, we'll go back to some semblance of normalcy. Will I, and I'm going to speak for myself, using myself as, a, as patient zero here, right? Will I go back to that dude that scheduled his day down to the last 30 minutes? and lament the fact that I don't have time for things that are important to me, like hanging out with my kids. Well, I just revert back to that at the minute the theaters open up. We can do Captain in Atlanta. I want to go to Atlanta for six weeks. You know what I'm saying? Is it all going to just jump right back into that and go right back to what we call quote-unquote normal? Well, see, a couple things. A couple things. Big up to you and your daughter, man. That's just smashingly beautiful i keep calling my daughter man she's up in the bronx with her mother i call her i call i call them a couple times a week because new york is getting the worst of it and um you know my you know what my daughter's mother told me i think what's today is today saturday i don't it, it doesn't matter my daughter's mother when i called her earlier this week she says she says to me trevor i'm i'm lying on the couch i'm i'm, I'm wrapped up in a in a um a blanket on the couch all the shutters are, are all locked and I, you know I'm locked in the apartment with the lights off and I'm like why why Maritza why she says Trevor because we just got an alert on our cell phones up here that there's a, that there's a tornado watch here in the Bronx what the Bronx had a tornado watch four or five days ago wow that's you know along with whatever else is going on so i say that to say you know um the playing field is shaky across the board and big up to you for being you know for for the shaking up that you've been put through that it's shaking you up in the direction of focusing on your daughter man that's that's you know that's wonderful man that's wonderful that's that's a I appreciate that, and I, you know, and, and I will say this, shout out to everybody in New York, because it's not the same everywhere. You know, where you are in Atlanta, where I am in, in L.A., they're big cities, yeah, but there's, you know, there's not the population density that you have in the Bronx. So, we can literally go outside, go for a walk, go for a run, do things that sort of break up the monotony, whereas, you know, from what I understand, and I haven't been there since this all started, but in New York City, places like the Bronx, it's it's lockdown, man, and you and you can't go out the house in New York without being on top of somebody. You know what yeah, I'm saying? That's so, that all of that That's you know, that's my point. You know, that's my point. Like I what what I see happening 
out of this if it's not already happened i can see um is is a mass exodus of people leaving new york city and in fact leaving um urban centers um across America. But I think the initial exodus is going to come from New York City. I think New Yorkers and people in the tri-state area are going to kind of pick their heads up after this and go, hey, we're not real sure we're safe here. Maybe we should we should make a move out of here. And that's going to cause yet another, you know, social shift in what I keep saying is the great paradigm shift of our time that's what i that's what i think this is like it's one it's great in a way you know and this is it's funny it's great in a way to hear you say when and to hear people say when this is over and when things get back to normal i love hearing that because obviously uh, you know i i want my normal back (laughs) you know just like everybody else i want my normal back so when you say it I'm I'm happy you think that. I'm happy to hear that, you know, um and I ho- that's what I'm hoping for, but judging again from my perspective at the, the 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 gathering of the forces and um you know, powers and higher principalities, gav- seeing what I can see gathering on the horizon it looks it looks to me like for the you know we're headed into a societal um dimension that none of us are even remotely prepared for and it's going to come like it says in the bible and i'm not a christian biblical scholar at any by any means but i know it says in the bible it'll come like a thief in the night and that's what i'm thinking that that's kind of what i'm seeing happen not predicting not obviously not wanting to happen but from my vantage point and the information that i'm getting and how i'm seeing people more most importantly how i'm seeing people react to the information it seems as though there's there's a domino effect of situations happening that could lead to that dystopian future predicted in every end of the world movie made in the last 30 years terminator um you know all these apocalyptic post-apocalyptic movies um where where ai rules the world and secure you know it's it's an orwellian it's an orwellian planet where there's you know there's the big brother is watching every move you make and everything is is 85% 85% of life is automated and uh you know um the, the the freedoms that we you and I grew up having being able to go to the park whenever we want um are 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 if not completely abolished but most definitely partially curtailed um and I don't really want to be a part of a future like that but that is, and you won't be and and this is where I think this conversation is, is fruitful, right? It's, I, hearing what you're saying, there's two things to understand. It, it's not that it could never happen. So this, this sort of paradigm shift to what you're describing, it's not that that could never happen. It's just that it can't happen right now for several very fundamental reasons. First of all, this virus is not the catalyst for it. This is not, and again, I it's frustrating for me because I keep saying it and it seems like when I say it people hear it but then they get other information and they seem to forget this virus, this situation I should say, is nothing to do with this virus being that this is not a mortality crisis this is not a viral infection crisis, this is not smallpox, what this is is a big blanket fuck you the way we've structured our healthcare system. This is a healthcare capacity problem. So, and it's very basic. We have, at any given time, 20% of the available hospital beds in this country are free at any given time. We cannot accommodate a virus that moves this quickly that will overload our healthcare system. It's simply a numbers game. And so, this 
future that you described could very well happen. I'm not dismissing that at all. This is not the catalyst. What this is, is a catalyst for us to either change our healthcare system into something that can, can ramp up capacity-wise in case of pandemics and things like this in the future. Or we can ignore it, hope it goes away, kills a bunch of people, and then at some point in the future, there will be a virus that does do what you're describing. This model that we sort of laid out is sort of um, controlling this one, locking everything down and shutting everyone in the house will be the model that we go to in the future. So the coronavirus won't do it, but you know, the, the, the Michigan, the, the, the Heineken virus might. So when the Heineken virus comes on, and that is a mortality question, that virus is killing people and making them drop dead in numbers that we're not prepared to deal with, the way that we dealt with corona will be the way that we deal with that one and the outcome of that next virus, the deadlier version, will be possibly the future that you're describing, but neither you or I will be alive. So essentially what you're saying is um, Mexican beer is not as deadly as German beer. That's that's what I heard. I think that's what I heard. Is that what you're talking about? Are we suddenly talking about beer? I mean, I don't mind. I don't mind if we shift the conversation to a conversation about beer. I don't drink alcohol. I think you know that. But, be, you know, if you want to talk about beer, fine. Fine. And I'm all, I'm all for it. The, the analogy, I stand by it, though. Because it's, it's hard to get people to understand that the way that we governments around the world have reacted to corona has little or nothing to do with the efficacy of the virus in terms of killing people. It just does not. The numbers are not there. The data simply does not support it. What this has shown is that we as Western society are not prepared to treat large numbers of people who all get sick at the same time. And New York is a perfect example. New York simply was not prepared for everybody to get sick at the same time. And if they could have found a way, once again, we're slowing the curve. The, the, the paradigm shift that you're describing, though, and this was the important part for you, for Trevor to sort of in, internalize as you're looking through your, as you're, as you're looking through your analysis and sort of predicting things that you're seeing play out. What has happened in terms of a paradigm shift that matters to your view? is that now we tested the response. So even though this virus won't do what you're predicting it will do, now we know how we will all respond to the next virus that may very well be smallpox related, or that may be something that's truly, truly deadly. And so we have all now been conditioned to be locked down on house arrest because of the fear of a virus. That conditioning is in us. So my daughter's 10. He lived through Corona, you know, 2020, whatever. 20 you know, years from now, right? It'd be interesting, you know, it'd be interesting. Um, let's say they open the economy. Everybody feels, you know, let's say 75, let's say 50%, 60, 75, between 50 and 75% of the American public feels comfortable enough to go out into the world in let's say July, June, July. And then, since they've been forewarning us of this next potential wave, which they're predicting will come in the winter when it's cold, then everybody in society prepares for the lockdown. They prepare for it. Do you understand what I'm saying? They, they you know, there's a controlled sort of uh, collapse, if you will, a, a sort of controlled shut down one by one so it isn't so uncomfortable and shocking and terrifying to people which is what i think is has been a major component of this situation is that people were completely unprepared at least here in america for anything for anything like this and Though, you know, you know me to not be, you know, the most political person in the world, politically driven person in the world. But let's just say, you know, Donald Trump and his team, you know, ha have not 
lessened the confusion. Let's just say Donald Trump has not done his part to lessen the confusion and assure the public. They have not done a good job of that. However, if in the future, like winter, I mean, you know, they're, they're telling us right now that there's going to be another wave. They're, they're, they're telling us. So it would be my suggestion to the public that come falls, you know, we, we all sort of just lock ourselves down, you know, just we do it voluntarily. And even now, from now until then, we just maintain, you know, a certain amount of wisdom in how we live to mitigate whatever effects whatever wave or, or, or whatever different virus comes, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of the lesson going into, you know, um, the, this, this third decade of the 21st century, like, you know, a certain amount of consciousness and awareness of everything you do rather than just living brazenly without considering anything, you know, and that to me, is at the backbone of why, you know, our country, the United States of America, is 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 being afflicted with it the worst. It's because of our lifestyle and flagrant, brazen, wasteful, you know, unenvironmentally conscious lifestyle and and you know a, a coupled with our sense of, you know, um, independence and what have you you know that that has made it such uh that is that has caused such a great impact here in the united states also you know there's the other component that americans are completely guided by their emotions americans you know america is an emotional country and we 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 are completely guided by our emotions americans you know almost refuse to think categorically and would much rather just have a quick, hot, fast, knee-jerk reaction. And, you know, the, the, the fear, the fear of this contagion has gripped the American imagination and we are all reacting incredibly emotionally and the fear and emotion spread the contagion. I, I think I think you're onto something, but I think I, I, I think it has. I think the virus has revealed it. I don't think any. I don't think the virus or this situation causes that. I, I, it's a very common refrain that you know America is like a, a petulant teenager. Um, and, and, and as anybody who has ever been around a teenager knows, teenagers are driven by emotion. And every situation that happens when you're 16 is the end of the world. <laughs> because that's the way you are when you're a teenager, and that's the way this country is. We react emotionally because we are we are so immature. The problem is because certain entities have figured out how to dispense information in a way that stratifies the population to make it easier to sell them. We now consume information not to inform, but to simply validate what we think we already believe. And so, there's no education happening in the media anymore. It's just, you go and cherry pick the average person, not necessarily you, but the average person goes, picks out those pieces of information that sound the most like what they already are inclined to believe. This virus, and again, because it is so contained, because it, 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 it travels so efficiently from person to person, and because we have not tested nearly anybody in the population, especially those who are asymptomatic, because of those facts, we have no idea how low the mortality rate of this thing is. So by June and July, we'll have treatments that everybody, that's what we're good at, right? We don't cure this. We will have drug treatments that will allow you to manage it, much like we have a flu shot. So everybody will go get their corona shot or whatever. And certain people will still get very sick, but it won't be in the numbers that will challenge the capacity of our healthcare system. So normalcy will return. The problem is, we've all now been conditioned to accept health threats as a solution. And so, not Trump, 
not the next guy or the guy after that, but at some point in the future, my daughter will be told, okay, you got to stay at home for six months and not leave your house, and it will be okay with her, because that's the condition now to accept that, and that's where the paradigm shift that you're describing comes into play, not now, because that kind of thing doesn't happen quickly, and because there's not a group of people who are smart enough to pull it off in the way that you're describing, but because we put the mechanisms in place, they can be used down the road to lock people down for nefarious reasons, if that's what you choose to believe. And then the, the, the final thing for me, Trev, if you really think about it, places like New York, point blank, and I know you're a New Yorker through and through, I get that, but they're overpopulated. Oh, bro, listen, you you get no argument from me about that, bro. I, you know, like you said, I am a New Yorker, but I don't live in New York. I made a conscious decision to, to get to, to, to GTFO, you know, to get the fuck out. I made a yeah. conscious decision, and I have advised my daughter and her mother to leave New York dozens of times, but New Yorkers, New Yorkers are a special breed, man. They love New York. It takes, yeah. it takes you know, it takes something you know, earth-shaking, cataclysmic for, an, for for the average New Yorker to get out of New York. And luckily, you know, it didn't take that for me. As soon as I had my first opportunity to leave, I left. You know, I, I am a New Yorker, born and raised, but you don't, ch- you don't get to choose where you were born. You know, I just happened to be there. <laughs> but um, in, in, in growing up and being able to have the, you know, have freedom of choice, I don't live there anymore, so... Let me ask you that question, though. Because in my mind, if we come out of this thing and 50% of the people in New York decide to leave, I think that's a good thing. I do, too. Um, Because it's just overpopulated. No, no, listen, like I said... you're, 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 you're preaching to the choir, you know, I, New, New York, if half of New York left, it'd be wonderful, it'd dry, you know, it would, it, I would, I would imagine it would help the rent situation, it would help the, the crowding, uh, you know, it, it would be, you know, and we can, we can extrapolate that to the whole world, like, if that happened all over the world, that movement of people would more than likely ease uh, uh, so many of the issues that we have to deal with in terms of being a 21st century civilization that that exodus of people out of mass congested crowded overpopulated dirty urban centers people moving out into rural areas and doing you know do, right. spreading out that that in and of itself would help the planet and so let me paint a scenario for you right and this I know you're not, you're not this too, but just bear with me for a second. Let me really quick. So we have right now everybody lives in New York and San Francisco. Those are the places because those where the jobs are. Whatever, for whatever reason, everybody lives in New York. You now have a lot of companies who are mastering the ability to manage a remote workforce, right? So they don't they don't necessarily have to be in any one geographic location. So you fast forward, you know, a decade from now, and you have. A guy who right now lives in the Bronx, but he can only afford a studio apartment because, you know, that's Bronx cost of cost. He now has had his main job, but he can now live in western Pennsylvania. He can now live someplace in upstate New York. You know what I'm saying? So you keep your centers of information, but you spread them out across a larger geographic area. And then to your point, everything becomes easier and more manageable and that once again to speak to your terms the paradigm shift those are the kinds of paradigm shifts that happen as a as a result of someone being entrepreneurial and taking advantage of a situation like this there are going to be some industries that don't bounce back I mean there's a lot of restaurants that just out of business forever and they're not coming back that's a shame but that's just the way it is but you know I got a buddy who shifted his entire operation from making whatever they were making before in this manufacturing plant and now they make nothing but surgical masks and he can't keep up with the demand so he's actually used this situation to transform his business and he's making more money he's hiring more people than he ever has before and this is a completely unique situation that nobody could have saw coming he was just positioned to take advantage of it and so as many people who are suffering 
there's also some people who are, you know, transforming their lives in a positive way because of this. And I think it's all going to bounce stuff out in the end. But the fear is, as Americans, as a nation, as a world, we are now conditioned to accept somebody telling us to stay in the house because of something we can't see. And me, that's what's scary. Let me ask you a question. So I, I told you I'm here in Atlanta. Georgia opened up its economy or certain aspects of its economy. Tattoo shops, beauty parlors, hair salons, nail, you know, nail salons. Too, right? I don't know. I, I Maybe. Somebody told me Bowling Alley. I don't know if that may not be true. So black people, you know, everybody knows Atlanta is, you know, kind of America's premier urban, you know, urban slash black city right now. And a lot of black people are saying that 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 the fact that Georgia opened first um, was is racist. It's it, it's like an assault or an attack on the black population that, you know, people are black, black people are saying it's a test, you know, don't fall for the test. They, they want to see if the virus is really as deadly and as dangerous as 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 they're saying so they're just pulling another tuskegee experiment on us and they're just you know they're they're baiting us to go back out there so you know uh, across the black communities there's a lot of um resistance to going back out into the economy my question to you is is it racist is that is that racist that governor kemp decided to open the economy do you, do you think do you think it's a planned coordinated attack on the do you think there's any justification in, in black people saying that that was a racist move? Let me ask you this. How could it not be? How could you make the argument that a hair salon is a necessity? Well, okay. I, I would answer to you, and I will answer to you, that he's he's not he's not ordering anybody to do it. It's your choice. No, but, but, but again, that, 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 that's very true. But it's also not the point only allowing certain businesses to reopen first, right? Which makes sense. You want to strategically open things up so that you don't get overwhelmed. Why are hair salons first? Well... What argument can you make that a hair salon should be first? Well, let's let's look at... And, and you know, here I am. I'm going to play devil's advocate. Again, let's look at the... the, the let's look at the uh, <clears throat> shops and things that he's allowed to open hair salons nail salons massage therapists i think um you said bowling alleys bowling alley is strictly recreational these other that things may not, that may not be true too. i don't know that that's a fact that's just, okay these other things involve y- you you can't get your hair done or your nails done or a tattoo without somebody being right up on you you know so the six feet this right this this six do you think that more black people um patronize tattoo shops hair salons and 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 beauty whatever than other and other demographics i will say this i don't think there's any argument i think that there's a certain demographic who does not not predisposed to go to, to go into a tattoo farm. Okay. Upper middle class whites don't go. Okay. Then I, I would say in response, um, upper middle class white people probably right now are among the, the the least affected group of this so of, of, you- of, of this wait let me of, of this situation. Like economically, I would imagine they've got the wherewithal to hunker down you know they've got savings they've they, you know but people who work in those those um economic categories you know um beauty people who do hair and you know there's a huge population of black people here in in, in atlanta in particular men and women who who completely survive off you know hair the, the whole you know black people in their hair thing you know the whole hair industry they make they're living from that and they you know they're probably living pretty probably i would imagine i might be wrong though some of them are balling but they're probably not living that far above 
the, the poverty line, they're probably making it paycheck to paycheck. And, I, you know, based on that, I'd imagine that they would be, and restaurant workers, uh, service industry people, they would be the most needy economically right now. So therefore, it would make sense to allow that group of economically strapped people an opportunity to make money. And again, remember, and it is very important, you said it's not the point, but for me, it's the entire point. It's the choice. It's it's the ability to choose. It's having the ability laid out in front of you to choose as opposed to not even having the ability. Uh, which I, I can't. I can't disagree with that at all, but here's what I will say, because I do think it's beside the point in this this conversation only. The conversation we're having is whether it was racially motivated, even partially racially motivated, to choose those specific items to open up as opposed to others. Here's the point. It is impossible to socially distance in a hair salon or a barbershop. We've already established that, or a massage bar. We've also established that those are not places that are necessarily frequented by upper middle class whites. We, you know, that's sort of the reality, right? Here's the third thing. In what scenario is it safer to go to a hair salon than it is to go to a golf course? There, no scenario, none. It does not so exist. Why are golf so why are golf courses not open? Again, I, you know, I, my reason, and it's not my reason, it is a reason, and that is those people who frequent golf courses, as you said, are in a social, a certain social stratification. Um, they, they go there, not the people who work there. Yeah, the people who go there, exactly. Right. So so you're saying you're saying why not all, why not open the golf courses as well? Is that what you're saying? Well, if you're going to open things up gradually, why not open golf courses first? I, I don't you know I I don't have an answer for you other than. What I what what I said earlier, which was, um, statistically speaking, those places that Kemp opened up the uh, the beauty salons, the hair salons, the I guess the tattoo parlors. You know that 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 one is a little bit interesting to me. But um, and then I guess massage therapists or estheticians. Um, that group of people, like I said, I would imagine two months into not having earned a dime, that group of people, which which is larger than the group of people who, 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 who may be working at golf, golf uh, courses, that group of people is a huge swath of the economic... Um, playground or whatever, however you'd call it here in Atlanta and in my opinion, two months of not making any money for those people hurts those people a lot more than it hurts two months of people who either frequent golf courses or work at golf courses just if you and this is where I think your argument flips over itself, right? Because people who frequent golf courses are just the people who are going to spend money. They're not hurting at all. They are the ones that, we, you know, they were the ones who can sit home for six months a year because they're not, and most of them, if they don't have savings, probably can work from home for a period of time and they're going to be just fine. It's the people who work at the golf courses who are no different than anybody else working at a hair salon or anywhere else who had their income taken away. Number two, the fact is, if there's an imbalance, obviously, when you have a hair salon that's, that's owned by a black woman, frequented by black women, the entire test body of your situation is now not only all black, but all black without the ability to socially distance. And that's where 
your argument runs into itself because you have specifically laid out industries where you cannot follow any sort of socially distant protocol. You just can't. Yeah, agreed. No disagreement. And if, you, and if you open a golf course, you can open up a golf course for a month and you can monitor very easily the people who come and go. If they get sick, if they don't get sick, then you open up a bowling alley or a hair salon or whatever you want. But the fact that you're opening up the hair salon first has no scientific or statistical impact on what goes on on the golf course because they're two diametrically opposed entities. So you open the first, if this is an example of, you know, trying to assess public safety, to see if anybody gets sick while maintaining reasonable socially distant protocols because on a golf course it's very easy to do. And you can monitor it and you can, and it's not as frequented as, you know, a restaurant with a high traffic volume. The people who go to a golf course, they generally give their name when they get a golf cart or whatever. So you can you can trace those potential victims or potential, you know, case studies. You can trace them very easily. It just makes sense. The only reason to open up hair salons first is because that test body, those, those subjects, those people in that population are considered dispensable. And you want to I was determined. You want to assess whether or not the mortality rate of this thing or the efficacy of this thing to make people really sick and, and, and need hospitalization is as bad as the media is saying. And so it's literally just that's because there's no other justification for it when you look at all the other options he had to open. You just can't justify it. So do you think... Um... I, I, I haven't heard. I don't know. Are there other states following Georgia's lead? You know, are, are, are states going to be watching Georgia to see if our, you know, if the number of, you know, uh, the, the numbers start to spike? What, what about California? What's going on where you are? Well, California's a perfect example, right? Because this has said it's going to be data-driven. So when we hit certain benchmarks in terms of the number of new diagnoses or the number of new um, people being admitted to a hospital, the number of the cases that require hospitalization, when those numbers hit a certain threshold, certain things will be allowed to open up. So there's phase one, then there's phase two, and then there's phase three. So in phase one, you will see golf courses and restaurants and things with being able to open on a limited basis. Phase two, you might get some kid activities like, you know, youth soccer and things like that that can start up again. But it's not it's all data-driven. There's no arbitrary date where he says, okay, go ahead, guys, you can open up. It's when the numbers hit this certain level, that's when we open. No one's really following Georgia's lead, but certain states haven't been hit as hard as others. So, you know, there's places in the middle of the country that, that have not had the level of, you know, impact as others, so they may open up sooner. They're not following Georgia's lead. They're just going based on the numbers and the data. The problem with Georgia is that it's not based on data. This this is not based on any sort of threshold. It's not based on the facts on the ground at the hospital. It's all based on his desire to open it up the economy in a way that he can roll back quickly and take goes out. And it's not going to impact his base. That's the point. It's not he's not risking his bread butter in rural Georgia. No, he's not risking that. The, the lives that he's risking, the, the, the lives that he's risking the impact for are those who are not going to vote for him anyway. So he doesn't care. So he's going, of course, he'll get your hair done if you want. And yes, you're very right. Nobody's making anybody go get their hair done. But the fact that the governor says it's open, you and I both know that somebody's going to take that and say, okay, well, this is cool. So listen. I, again, I'm all for it. But let's not call it anything other than what it is. If you're going to open up a hair salon and not a golf and not a golf course, your motivations are very clear to me. Um, we're going to get into some of your thoughts on the numbers because you you know you said that it's important for not only your state, California, but 
you you think it, you you sound like you think it's important for the entire country to make policy according to data, and data translates as numbers. And I, I was asking a friend of mine the other day, hey, wh- what's it going to take for you to be comfortable to 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 re-enter, you know? regular society what, what's it going to take for you to go back to the gym what's it going to take for you to go back to the restaurant what's it going to take for you to go back to a club and you know i'm really curious curious to know if it's a number you know and what that number is and we'll get into uh we'll get into that in in part two of um our talk about this paradigm shift and whether or not there really is a paradigm shift it's trevor david nothing specific <laughs> 